0: Hello and welcome to mildly amusing history class. Uh, Today we're going to be taking a look about at life in colonial America, uh, sort of daily routines and uh, lifestyle stuff. Um, Specifically we're going to be discussing white English settlers and their daily lives and routines. Um, We'll do another episode all about people of color, particularly enslaved people and free blacks and their experiences in colonial America. Uh, So that's just something to keep in mind going forward. Another thing to think about when we're thinking about life in colonial America is that people's experiences varied a lot depending on the region they lived in. Uh, So there are four major regions, and we've mentioned this a little bit last time, but there are New England, the Middle Colonies, the Chesapeake, and Southern Colonies. However, sometimes we'll just say Northern colonies to mean New England and the middle colonies and Southern colonies might also include Virginia and Maryland in this context. Um, So breaking it down along the lines uh, that would eventually divide the future states when it comes to issues of secession and civil war and and slavery uh, later on in history. So with that in mind, the first thing we're gonna discuss is the structure of society. And this differed quite a bit between North and South. And we're gonna start with the South. Uh, so eventually southerners stopped needing to you know eat each other and kind of got their stuff together a little bit um, so at the top of the social hierarchy were rich landed planters who might own thousands and thousands of acres of land uh, these folks owned dozens maybe hundreds of slaves um, however they were not at all the majority of white people and we'll break down the numbers on this next time but they're quite a small minority um, so next on down the social ladder are the small farmers uh, these folks own their own land and they might own some slaves or they might not um, if they did own slaves, it was kind of a small number of slaves and these guys were not like drinking iced tea on a veranda while their slaves worked the land. Uh, these folks were typically working, sweating right next to the, their chattel, their property. Um, not that that makes it like less awful that they kept humans as legal property, I'm just saying so you kind of get a picture in your mind, I guess. Um, these dudes are often referred to as yeoman farmers and Thomas Jefferson thought these guys were like dope. These were the coolest guys. Uh, we might get into this more later but Jefferson thought these guys were like the backbone of the nation and when Jefferson thought about who America was for and who the government should orient itself towards he was thinking of these small white farmers uh which is kind of funny if you know anything about Jefferson because he you know designed the architecture for his own mansion and spoke fluent French and loved to drink wine and collect hundreds of books in his library um so he kind of seems analogous to that guy who works in finance or something today but talks like blue collar workers are like the coolest and they're the real men you know um that's always kind of what I picture when I think of Jefferson thinking about uh these folks um so anyway these yeoman farmers were uh, socially a lot better off than white men who didn't own land. So these might be like former indentured servants who lost their land for one reason or another or whites who didn't have any land for some reason. Um so they they were not doing well and then any remaining indentured servants were below them and technically slaves were on the absolute bottom. Um ever, however I've actually heard something interesting about uh, calorie-wise and nutrients-wise about the reality of the situation, you know, despite the sort of social pyramid of what was going on. Um, So I guess when people analyzed what slaves and landless whites ate, um, slaves actually had more healthy food in many of these parts of the early colonies and and later in the United States. Um, And I guess when you think about it, that's not surprising because an owner kind of has an incentive to feed a slave at least enough decent food to kind of maximize that person's efficiency, whereas no one had any incentive making sure a landless free white had enough calories to be efficient. So obviously life was way worse for the vast majority of slaves and no one was feeding slaves like delicious varied diets. Um, It's just kind of interesting that while landless whites were considered higher on the social hierarchy, um, in some ways they really weren't much better off. So in the North, we don't really see anything quite as stratified as in Southern society. So there's a couple of reasons for this. Um, as we've discussed a little, indentured servants weren't really coming over to the Northern colonies too much. Uh, and as a result, you don't have these desperately poor whites without a built-in family structure. Uh, people in Northern colonies tended to come as family groups. And in the case of New England, especially, you've got big religious communities coming over together. Uh, so there's a lot of support for people and therefore quite a bit more equality. Also, there were a lot less slaves in Northern colonies to kind of shape the social structure. Uh, That wasn't because slavery was initially banned or anything. It was mostly because it just wasn't economically practical. Uh, The crops that were being grown and the way the land was being used just didn't lend itself to using slave labor in a significant way. Uh, Eventually, this is gonna lead Northern people coming to realize that slavery is really problematic and evil, uh, but the reason it didn't really take off in the North was because of economic reasons, not moral ones. Finally, with the exception of indentured servants, most of the white people in colonial America were mostly pretty middle class. Uh, There weren't too many super rich or super poor people. And that kind of makes sense if you think about it. If you're really poor, you're not going to be able to leave the old world. And if you're super rich in the old world, why would you want to emigrate? Additionally, Americans ate really well by standards of the day. Obviously not counting, you know, the early starving times in Virginia where people were sometimes eating each other. Um, In general, once the agriculture economy of the colonies got going, people are eating a nutritious and varied diet. A variety of crops were grown throughout the colonies, so it wasn't a situation, say, in like Ireland, where they were just growing, you know, tons of potatoes, and that's what everyone ate all the time. Um, There's a good variety. Uh, Also access to fishing and the ocean and stuff, so so you're getting a good variety of uh, garden food that's being grown in people's homes, more Sort of wheat type uh, staple crops, uh, access to meat, access to fish. So people are eating pretty well. Um, Also, Americans had access to a lot more meat than Europeans at the time. And I think the reason for this is really interesting. So in Europe, a farmer might be a tenant of a landed noble of some kind. And in Europe, only the noble had the right to hunt on their land. But in the colonies, there was a ton of land that wasn't being claimed or controlled by any other white guy. So colonists could easily hunt for food in addition to whatever livestock they might be raising, which helps supplement the American's diet. So right from the get-go, Americans consider being modestly comfortable, pretty middle-class to be the norm. So much so that that seems like obvious even, you know, like I wouldn't even need to say it. Uh, But it's worth pointing out that other times and places, uh, the majority of people would be you know peasant farmers living on the edge of poverty say in 18th century France or a little later on in history impoverished factory workers in a European city or something. Um, So it's interesting that right from the beginning most white Americans are pretty middle class and you know pretty middling and comfortable. So next we're going to talk a little bit about life expectancy. So life expectancy is something that can be a little challenging to figure out depending on how you do it and it's a component of life in the colonies that varied quite a lot depending on where you lived so you might be familiar with the idea that life expectancy was very low compared to today but that depends a lot on how you kind of slice and dice that so life expectancy is an average based on adding up all the ages when people died and dividing by the number of people you had in that sample however that can sometimes be a little inaccurate because infant and childhood mortality weren't particularly great at this time That means it was a lot more common for kids to die than it is today, and if you throw all those dead kids into the counting, it can really throw off the average age people died. But for people who lived in New England who made it past, say, 10 years old, your odds of dying went down a lot. Um, Remember, New England didn't have a lot going for it, the soil was pretty bad, the weather can be kind of tough, but it was a lot healthier place, and people lived a pretty long time. Um, I've actually seen the statistic that it was pretty common for New Englanders to live to be about 70 years old, which, you know pretty respectable as far as, you know, a lifetime goes. Um, However, this was definitely not the case down in the Southern and Chesapeake colonies. So as we've talked about before, Virginia had a ton of problems getting started. So that led to very short life expectancies. Uh, But even after some of those really extreme stuff was worked out, uh, Southern colonists still had shorter life expectancies. Uh, One of the reasons for this actually has to do with mosquitoes. So the Chesapeake region in particular can be quite mosquito infested, and mosquitoes carry diseases which lead to a higher death rate in these colonies. And while that's all very interesting, um, I think the effects of this stuff is pretty cool. So because everybody was, you know, so relatively likely to die in the southern colonies, being a widowed woman was pretty common, and you might be a widowed mom with little kids. So because this was so comparatively likely, uh, Southern colonies tended to have a lot more lax laws about female inheritance. Basically, there was this idea that like, oh shoot, our daughters are relatively likely to end up on their own. We better make sure they can actually get some of their money to take care of themselves if they need to. Um, on the other hand, in New England, marriages were much more likely to last a long time. So inheritance laws for women were a lot stricter. However, there was obviously a positive side uh, to longer life expectancy in New England, in addition to being, you know, still alive Uh, and that's the idea that New Englanders basically quote-unquote invented grandparents. Uh, Obviously grandparents have always been a thing but in New England it was common even expected that you would live long enough to know your children's children which wasn't really too much of a norm prior to that Um, and anthropologists have documented that there's a lot of benefit to having grandparents uh, especially actually grandmothers around basically grandmas are pretty smart about taking care of kids and they can give your mom a lot of advice about you know keeping you alive and stuff so that's pretty cool um, speaking of moms and kids, uh, pregnancy and childbirth was definitely something that could shorten life expectancies in colonial times. It's hard to get exact numbers, but it seems that maternal mortality uh, was about 1%. So that means that uh, for every baby that was born um, out of out of 100, 1%. Uh, one Uh, mother would die in that process. Uh, Now that doesn't seem too bad but when you consider that it was common for women to give birth like eight or more times in their lives that makes that risk quite a bit more serious. Um, So next we'll take a look at what medical care you might receive in colonial America prior to your death. Uh, This might be a little icky for people who don't like hearing about medical stuff so feel free to skip ahead if that's you. Still here? Okay. Uh, so people at this time did not have any idea about germ theory of disease. They did sometimes think there could be a relationship between like the environment and some diseases like yellow fever, um, that's spread by mosquitoes where they can easily breed, Uh, but they didn't really have the whole picture of like microbes or bacteria or anything like that figured out. Um, so science at the time was based on the idea that everything on earth was made up of four elements, earth, fire, water, and air, uh, which is pretty dumb, but that's what they thought and they thought the human body was a combination of this stuff, and bodies were made up of four fluids, which they sometimes called humors. Um, The humors were phlegm, blood, yellow bile, and black bile. Uh, Obviously this is crazy, but I can at least see where they're coming from with say like blood um, and maybe even phlegm. Like I'm thinking if someone had like a cold or pneumonia or something, I might not be totally crazy or like impossible to understand why someone would think that person's phlegm is out of whack in some some way um but black bile and yellow bile just seem super weird to me like I don't know about you but I can't think of any disease or medical problem that anyone I know has ever had that's been primarily distinguished by yellow bile um but anyway that's what they thought about bodies and they thought disease was when you had a disturbance with some of your humors and if the practitioner could adjust your humors you'd get better Um, I guess sometimes I can see where the logic was going with some issues, like, sorry to be a little gross, but if someone was suffering from, say, diarrhea, I can see the logic of, oh, they're having a problem with their black bile over here. Let's try to sort that out. Um, But then the logic kind of goes off the rails because, you know, if that problem was happening today, we would say, oh, man, let's try to do something to stop this person from having diarrhea. Um, But in colonial times, they said, oh, this person is having diarrhea. That must mean we need to manage their black bile by making them have more diarrhea. Uh, they do the same thing with vomiting, which uh, come to think of it, maybe that was the yellow bile. Um, But yeah, they would try to make a person throw up even more with various herbal medicines. Um, There was also this idea that removing blood from a person's body was a good idea, and it would help balance that particular humor, which is kind of crazy because not only is that totally bogus, uh, it did patients a lot of harm and likely killed many of them. Um, a little later on in colonial times, it was actually debate among physicians about bleeding patients, not like, you know, I'm noticing this bleeding thing doesn't seem to be too helpful. Let's stop. And then colleagues who disagreed. Uh, no, the debate was between physicians who thought you should bleed your patients and other physicians who thought you should bleed your patients like crazy. So the question wasn't, should we keep doing this thing? It was, how much bleeding is too much bleeding? So there's that. Um, I I guess this is also a good time to mention that medicine was not really a super professionalized thing at this point, especially in America. Uh, Medical schools in the U.S. were only just getting started pretty late in this period. So a physician might go to Europe to do some studying, but most medical training was basically apprenticing with an experienced older doctor and just learning from them. Uh, Some colonists might also use, by choice or necessity, a midwife. Uh, Midwives were women in the community who delivered babies, and they often had some knowledge of what we might call today homeopathic remedies, Um, sometimes they provided a lot more medical care to the community in addition to assisting with births. So speaking of midwives and giving birth, uh, for women, childbearing and childrearing were typically a huge component of their lives in colonial times. Uh, Women typically married in their early to mid-20s and typically were having and raising children into their 40s. This was probably the most significant job of women in the home, uh, but I think it's important to point out a few things about this. Uh, For one thing in colonial America, raising children was mostly about teaching obedience. Um, Mothers were expected to teach kids to obey their parents and they also would provide some religious instruction. cases they might also be teaching children to read write do math uh, but wealthy southern families would probably have tutors to do this and many northern families had access eventually to schooling for their kids Um, another thing that's interesting about this is that during colonial times fathers were actually supposed to be kind of the most important parent the mom was probably going to be doing most of the grunt work of parenting like changing diapers feeding potty training putting to bed all that stuff Uh, but fathers were considered the family members who were ultimately most responsible for how kids turned out. Uh, Dads were expected to really make sure the kids were taught to be obedient, knew about religion, and generally had good character and morals. Uh, This would change in history soon enough, uh, but this was the case throughout colonial times. Additionally, I often have students who describe women's responsibilities at home as cooking and cleaning during colonial times. And that's really only half true. Uh, the idea of having a clean home really didn't have the same meaning that we think about today, or maybe what we envision women were doing in say like the 1950s. And there are a few reasons for this. Um, first of all, keeping a clean home wasn't really on women's radar that much in colonial times. I'm not saying they wanted their homes to be messy or gross or something, uh, but for one thing, there wasn't this germ theory of disease that we all understand today. So while today we would make sure to you know, clean and sanitize a countertop after preparing say chicken, uh, before handling other food products on it. That's just not something that colonial people would have understood at all. They would not have done something like that. Um, Second, people in colonial times weren't really messy or untidy the way we think about today. Uh, When I think about cleaning up, I think about picking up my kids' toys, putting away books and papers, basically organizing all sorts of stuff and putting it in the right place. Uh, Well, people in colonial times didn't really have this so much. People just didn't have that much junk and clutter. Um, Kids didn't have a lot of toys to clean up in the first place. And finally, this ties into something else to remember about women in colonial times. Home wasn't considered this sort of sanctuary from the world where people would come to relax. Uh, Homes were considered workspaces and women mostly took the lead on this inside work where if they were married, uh, their husband would sort of take the lead on the outside work. Uh, So just for example, things that were going in the On inside the home might include stuffing mattresses with feathers and straw, preparing meat to be smoked, canning and preserving fruits and vegetables, making and mending clothing, hundreds of other tasks that would depend on the season, the region, and the social class of the family. So obviously there's so much more we could talk about about daily life and society in colonial America. But hopefully these topics provided a mildly amusing and interesting introduction to life in colonial America. Um, Thanks so much for listening to a mildly amusing history class, and we will see you next time.